thank you so much. Read your scripture and when we talk about it. So Lord, would you help us today as we discover more about who you are and what you say about who we are. Give us the strength and the willingness to obey. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll never forget my, uh, my son, my fourth-born son. He came, he was, he was pretty young, and he had just been to a, a baptism service. And, and, and we just had it that week, and so he's kind of hanging out with his mom, and he said, um, he said to his mom, now, he's, he's like, he was getting ready to go to school, I think. He was going to school, and uh, like in first grade or maybe second grade. And is that right? Oh, it was kindergarten. He was very mature for his age. And so he was in kindergarten, and, and uh, so I was close. But he was, he was talking to his mom, and, and he's like, Mom, I know what I want to do. He said, I want to be paralyzed, and I want braces. And she's like, uh, what? <laughs> you want to be paralyzed? Yeah, you know, I want to be paralyzed, like the people that go under the water. She's like, oh, you mean baptized. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I want to be baptized and I want braces. <laughs> That's exactly what I want to do. <laughs> and I feel like this morning we're going to talk about an idea. We're going to talk about our purpose. And sometimes we think we know what we want, but we don't. We're confused about what it looks like. We're confused about what it is, about how it works. We're confused about how it's described and, and what God has in mind for our purpose. And so uh, last few weeks we've been in this series called You Asked For It. And that was a series where we were really looking at what you asked for us to speak on from a survey we did at Easter this last year. And so we did the top four answers, four, three, two, and then one. And the number one answer for that survey um, I think it was like 1,800 people came to church on that Easter Sunday. So it's a huge, huge group of people that filled out this survey and said, hey, the number one thing we want to hear about is purpose. Purpose. What is my purpose? And so we're starting a series today called On Purpose, Lies We Believe About Our Potential. Lies we believe about our potential, and we're gonna we're gonna jump in and we're gonna go for it here with Jude chapter one. There's only one chapter in Jude, but verse twenty. If you have your Bible, you can follow along with us. Um, if you don't, you can have your message notes there, and you follow along in your message notes. Here's what it says: It says, "But ye beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, and keep yourselves in the love of God." looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. If you're taking notes, I want you to underline that little phrase, making a difference. Making a difference. In fact, I want you to just say it. Making a difference. Yes, say it a little better than that. I was like, making a difference. No, say it out strong. Making a difference. Do you feel like you're making a difference? I think it's a big question. We're all asking this question 
we want to make a difference. We want to, to be a, a, a change agent for people around us. But for so many of us, we're just, we can't quite figure out how or where to make a difference. You know the questions that come to your mind. We all know them. These are questions about who am I? What is my purpose? What should I be doing with my life? What, what major should I have in school? Um, what career should I choose? What job should I take? What, what, are, what, are, what is it that I should do in my life? These are the questions that kind of torment us, questions that can frustrate us and challenge us. I don't know if you've ever seen the, the shows on television. They're like nature shows. When I was growing up, there was something called Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. <laughs> All of you under 30, you're like, you're like, what are you talking about? See, in my day, in the dark ages, there was only three channels. And like you had like every Saturday, this thing would come on. Mutual of Omaha sponsored it. There was an insurance company. And it was Wild Kingdom hosted by Marlon Perkins. <laughs> yes. I apologize for this digression um, for all of you under 30. But, um, but I, there was only three channels. You could only watch nature shows. Now they have a bazillion channels, and they got entire channels, like 100 channels devoted to nature. <laughs> so you can watch it at any time. But it was only on Saturday. And I remember watching this story about lions. Lions cool story about lions and there was this the life of a lion and so they would film like I don't know where they were filming from it was always a mystery to me as a child like how did they not get eaten right like 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 they're right there the lions are right there with the telephoto lenses so they would be hiding in the in the bushes and filming this whole thing and 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 they would film the cubs being born and then the the cubs playing around and and then pouncing on dad you know and and then uh, uh, mom is you know cleaning them off with her licking them I don't know what that's called it's called something <laughs> grooming them yes yes it's so gross <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know there's something about it, it just bothers me and so and so but you'd, you'd watch you'd watch the, the the cubs play and then they're you'd watch the parents make sure that they weren't in danger when there were predators around and then the cub learning about those predators they would uh, le finally learn how to hunt. And as they learned how to hunt, they'd go out and they'd have a, there would be a lot of failure. You know, they'd have some successes and a lot of failures. And then as, as the cub began to grow up and learn about everything, then, then there was a, a, a moment where that cub had a mate and then the cycle started all over again. And I'm, I, it's a really profound thing that struck me as I was thinking about this, that, that each of these lions, as they, were, as they were being filmed and as they were going through life, it, it wasn't necessarily a simple life, right? Because there was danger and there was a lot of different things, but it, but it still had this simple clarity that I think all of us long for because the lions weren't sitting around going, I wonder who I am. 
I wonder what I should do with my life. What should I do? I'm not sure what to do. How should I, how should I live and what should I be? They were just being what they were. That cub was just being what he was, a lion. I think every one of us long for the type of clarity and purpose in our lives that, that the lion has. Because I think every one of us know, like deep down on the inside, that we're all created to be something. We're all created to do something. We're all created to contribute something in life. And what's so hard for so many of us to figure out is what that something is. What is it? What should it be? How many of you have read the C.S. Lewis uh, series, The Chronicles of Narnia, right? It's really good. Fantastic books. If you've never read them, you need to, a bunch of you skipped the book and saw the movie. And uh, there are several movies that were made there. Well, C.S. Lewis in his fourth book called The Silver Cherry talks about uh, it's a story about Prince Rillian and who was imprisoned by a witch's sorcery. And under her spell, this prince would lose all recollection of who he was and where he came from. And he said, these are his actual words. He said, while I was enchanted, I could not remember my true self. But during his brief moments of clarity, he would realize that he had been bound by a, quote, heavy, tangled, cold, clammy web of evil magic. I, I think that's how life feels for so many of us sometimes. Heavy, tangled, cold, clammy web of evil magic. Because for so many of us, we get lost in the fog of confusion and dullness trying to figure out what our purpose actually is. And that confusion and dullness just kind of penetrates our, our daily routine. I think part of this is because we live in a time where the search for our purpose and our place in this world is so difficult. And I think there's a few reasons for that. You know, one, one reason is kind of because of the world of science and how it's interpreted in our culture. Um, whatever we feel, be it pleasure, despair, anger, lightness, heaviness, or even a sense of meaning, these emotions are just explained as a series of chemical reactions. Chemical reactions in our brain to some outside stimuli. In other words, Beauty, purpose, meaning, romance, pleasure, even God are nothing more than byproducts of chemical reactions, which is really sad. It's like, and listen, make no mistake about it. I don't think science and the Bible are at odds. I don't think science and Christianity are at odds. I think the more we discover through science, the more we kind of discover that, that there's a creator. But there's something else in, the, in our culture that's sort of blamed a little bit on science. And it's this deduction, like everything can be deduced down to this explanation and we can explain everything just by purely physical means. And I, and I think that's incorrect. Um, and so, uh, you know, science kind of, kind of, a certain framework of scientific mind kind of tells us there's no meaning or transcendent purpose in life. And it's just the random reaction of one thing to another. I was at 
a prayer meeting this week, and one of the young ladies was praying, and we were all praying together, and she was praying about this very subject because she felt like she'd been accused, and she'd wrestled with her faith simply being a coping mechanism, that she was having such a hard time in her, in her life that it really wasn't real. It's just her way of coping. And so, you know, whatever works for you is fine. And I think, and I think that that is kind of the, the, the outlook for us in our culture, but I think there's something more. Philosopher and Nobel Prize winner Henry Bergson, he said it this way. He said, since the Renaissance, modern science has gradually extended its causal explanations to one phenomenon after another, psychological and biological as well as the purely physical, accounting even for life and consciousness in purely physical or chemical terms. Creative novelty, human purpose, and freedom have often been disregarded. And I think this is true. Our, and it's kind of convoluted our search for purpose and our place in this world. I, I think in addition to that, it's the pressures of society sort of convolute our, our search for what God wants from us or what our purpose is, uh, any sense of purpose and meaning. The pressure of society tells us that outside the realm of economic or scientific advancement, right, purpose really doesn't matter, right? It's, it's like, it's like, any sense of purpose or meaning outside of these factors is unhelpful or even dangerous, right? It's got to have a, 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 an economic advantage or it has to have a scientific advantage or it really doesn't mean anything. And so our, our laws sort of portray society's desire to separate faith from any type of cultural influence. Most movies, TV shows, news reports, you know, it's, a, it's showing religious conviction as ignorant and even the source of hatred and the source of suffering and war, or at best, simply um, ineffective for positively changing the world around us. And, and so I think we have to, I think we really have to grab a hold of what God wants for us because society is pushing the other direction. There is a pressure in our society to compare ourselves with each other. I don't know if you're, you've ever experienced this, but Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest. Pinterest is simply a mechanism to make you feel stupid <laughs> or to make you feel like your house is ugly. <laughs> I don't know. It's just so weird. It's like uh, it's like all these all these things. Where everybody's everybody's presenting these curated, carefully crafted ideas about their life, and so everybody else looks like man. They've got it figured out. Man, they, those people they have purpose. Look at it. Look at them. They're helping people. This is so awesome. No, listen. We're all asking the same questions. We're all wrestling to find the same answers. And but I and uh, so I think society has caused some of this, but I also think that the church has caused some problems with our finding our purpose, because in the past the church, the big C church, right, has held an elitist view of people and their callings, where only a few were chosen to do something sacred, and these select few people can easily be easily recognized by their title or their position or their clothing. 
And those are the people that actually have a pretty significant purpose with God. And if you don't desire an opportunity to do something within the church, then you really don't have as much meaning as those who actually are uh, inside leading within the church. What the problem with that is, is that just leaves you with an expected position in life as a Christian is simply to subject yourself to the church's teaching and to direction with your highest goal being living a moral life. Just live a moral life and support the church's vision and institutions. I am here as your pastor and I want to tell you nothing could be further from the truth. I reject that idea about the body of Christ. I'm here to tell you, and I want you to hear it loud and clear. There are no elite members of the body of Christ. <laughs> there, there are no elite members. All ground is level at the foot of the cross. I need Jesus just as much as you. You have gifts and talents and purposes in your heart and in your soul and your life that must come out. It's just that you end up seeing a bunch of mine on display. But I, if the church is defined by me, we're in big trouble. <laughs> it's gotta be. <laughs> Thanks dad. If I'm the only one who can come up with ideas, we're in big trouble. If I'm the only one who can figure out the purpose, we're in trouble. Listen, we need us. We are stronger together. We are smarter together. All of us are smarter than one of us. There's something that God puts together in the body of Christ and all of us have a purpose. All of us have a place. I think the church has also adopted a utilitarian view of calling and purpose sometimes. Um, focusing kind of on our usefulness. In other words, there's much to be done for the kingdom of God, so we need to be a servant, to be dutiful, to um, do whatever needs to be done, and thus the commonly heard expression, I just want the Lord to use me. You've heard me talk about this maybe before, but I, I, think, I don't think this is a great way to explain how God works with people. Because I want you to think about this. All right, try attaching the phrase, I wanna be used by, and put in any other relationship. Right, I just wanna be used by my friend Bob. <laughs> I just wanna be used by my friend Bob. I just wanna be used by my boss. I just wanna be used by my pastor. I just wanna be used by my spouse. It doesn't work. There's something wrong. There's something off about this idea. Listen to me, church family, the life that you and I are living on this earth in a relationship with God is about so much more than just your usefulness. Amen. It's beyond that. It's bigger than that. It's greater than that. You are not just a tool. You can take that home with you. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're not a tool. <laughs> you're not a tool. You're, just, you're not just a tool that God wields impersonally in his massive, sovereign, impersonal, universal plans. 
No, there's, there's something more to this. There's a relationship, there's a connection, there's a collaboration that you and I have with God. He invites us into something. He invites us into a friendship, a partnership, a way of functioning where we cooperate with his will and his purpose and he allows us to and he fills us with his power and his spirit and his heart and his life and his love and then it spills out to others. As we experience his forgiveness, that forgiveness spills out into others as we forgive them. This is what God's called you and I to. Like we're, we're, we're partners, we're friends. It's much more than just being a tool. We don't have relationships with tools. Some men do, but it's bad. It just, <laughs> we're so much more than that. I think the church has also pushed a stewardship view of life sometimes, and this is the thought that God has given us something to contribute to his kingdom, something by which we will be scrutinized and judged for at the end of all days. And the unstated goal here is not to get in trouble on our end times job evaluation. And, and while there's, like, there's, this is partially true, like there's going to be a review of life and how we treated it, I think it misses the point because I believe God has given us something glorious to bring into this world that has to do with joy and intimacy with him that flows out of relationship with him, not an upcoming job dis uh, evaluation. So I think these different factors add the fog and the confusion that can make it so challenging to discover your purpose, which is why this question of what is my purpose is so central to most of us. USA Today did a study, all right, and here's what they found. They asked this question, what would you ask a God or supreme being if you could get a direct and immediate answer, right? Third most popular answer was 16%, why do bad things happen? Why do bad things happen? That's a big question. We've talked about it here a lot over our time together. The second question was 19% of people wanted to know, will I have life after death? But the, the largest percentage, 34% of adults said they would ask, what is my purpose in life? What is my purpose in life? You know, I think this response is very telling because just the asking of this question by so many people sort of reinforces the facts that most people know that we really are created for a specific purpose. Like there's something we've got to grab a hold of. C.S. Lewis, again, in his book, Mere Christianity, he said it this way. He said, if the whole universe has no meaning, we should never have found out that it has no meaning. Just as if there were no light in the universe and therefore no creatures with eyes, we should never know that it was dark. Dark would be a word without meaning. And so the question that we're all asking, is there a specific purpose or calling in my life, for my life? That question has an overwhelming and resounding answer of yes. Yes. But the answer that your life does have purpose and meaning is still not enough, is it? Because the answer begs another question. And that question is, what specific irreplaceable purpose does my life play? What 
What irreplaceable purpose does my life play in this world? See, it's one thing to know that you have a purpose. It's a whole other thing to know what your purpose is. Pulitzer Prize winner Russell Baker said it this way, there is a hunger in us for assurance that our lives have not been merely successful but valuable, that we have accomplished something grander than just another well-heeled, well-off, loudly publicized journey from the diaper to the shroud. In short, that our lives have been consequential. See, the truth is that we are all here to do something, to make a contribution. But the reality is you will never fully discover your purpose outside of a relationship with God. I firmly believe that. No amount of research, personality tests, gift finder tests will ever be able to replace the input from the one who created you. The one who made you knows what your purpose is. I want you to see how true this was for a guy by the name of Gideon in Judges chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, you can go there with me. Judges 6 verses 1 to 12. We're going to read 12 verses here, and we'll just read a little bit of context for the story. So I want you to go with me into this story because it gives insight into how God is dealing with Gideon and how much we can see ourselves in the story. Verse 1 says, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. And the Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made the hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. And these enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count. And they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. And when they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord, your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live. But you have not listened to me. And then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. <laughs> Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now, I want you to notice God's interaction with Gideon because his interaction with Gideon is very similar to the way that he's trying to interact with us, <laughs> with you. Because when you were born, God infused you with many things. And one of them is a purpose that he wants you to embrace. This is what the angel was telling Gideon. Verse 12, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now I can guarantee you that Gideon did not feel like a hero. He did not feel like a hero. He didn't think he was a hero. 
I mean, after all, he was hiding. <laughs> he, did, he wasn't thinking about his purpose. He had no idea of the purpose that God had for him that was about to come to pass. And so there was absolutely nothing about his life that was making a difference. Now, listen, from the onset of this series, I want you to understand that I cannot discover, I, I will not know the specific details of the purpose that God has in you. That's something you have to discover. Those purposes res residing within you, only you can allow those to come out with God's desire and design for you. But I do know two things about your purpose. Number one, I know that you do have a God-given purpose within you. Every person does. You have a God-given purpose within you. And number two, your purpose is related to people. Your purpose is related to people. I think this is pretty important for you to understand because that means that your purpose will never be just about you. It'll never be just about your success. It'll never be about promoting yourself, even though you might get promoted. It'll never be about achieving great fame or fortune, although some of you might become famous. I hope not. I hope God spares you from that. But I think, but some of you might. You realize that's what everybody wants now. They, just, they used to be that they wanted money. They wanted riches. Now people just want fame, almost at any cost, that they'll put stupid, crazy stuff online so that they can get famous. It's not about experiencing more pleasure or comfort, although you might experience some pleasure and comfort. It's not about amassing great power, although you might experience some pretty significant power over people. Listen, people, it's not about you. Your purpose is not just about what's going on in you. Instead, your purpose is always about using the resources God has given you, your skills, your relationships, your experiences, your money, your time, your intelligence. It's using those resources to make a positive impact in the lives of others. Now, I can hear you. Like, like, I can hear you in your mind. Some of you are already arguing with me, right? In, in your head, you're already starting to say things like, Pastor, I can't do anything great. <laughs> this is impossible. I don't have an education. I don't have a gift. I... Some of you are saying things like, Pastor, you don't know. My life is a mess. I don't have, I, I, I don't have what it takes because I, I mean, I've been abused I've been mistreated. I'm not strong enough to help others. I, I can barely even help myself. Some of you are thinking to yourself, I'm so busy right now, I, can't, I just can't make time for this. Raising my kids, trying to make ends meet financially, taking care of my spouse, I just don't, Pastor, I just don't have the time and energy to change the world right now. Some of, you are, some of you are thinking, uh, I'm not interested in helping people, really, at all. <laughs> it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world out there, and I've got to look out for myself because nobody else will. I, I think this was Gideon's response as well. Check it out in verse 12. Look at it in verse 12. He says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Verse 13, sir, Gideon replied. <laughs> If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? 
That is like the most common question we have. If, if the Lord is with us, why is all this happening to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? I was just talking to someone this week about that. And they were asking, where are the miracles? Now, think about it. Gideon's asking this question. And it's just before God would do the greatest miracle Gideon had ever seen in his entire life. It's not a bad question. The issue is, what are we going to do as we respond to God's purpose? He goes on to say, didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. And then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have. In other words, he was saying, you've got strength. He says, and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, <laughs> this is so familiar to me. My, all my children, like if I tell them to do something, but dad, but I've like new rule at my house, right? But dad, those two words can never go together. You can use the word but, you can use the word dad. You can never use them together, but dad. Gideon says it, he says, but Lord, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. You have to understand what this means in Gideon's mind. He's saying, he's gonna, God is saying, you're going to deliver my people from the Midianites. And in his mind, in that day, his context, that would have been crazy because he's part of the smallest tribe, which you need a lot of people to join you in a fight against people who are oppressing you. And the first people who are going to fight with you, you're going to lead the fight, is your tribe. He's like, this is, we, get this, we get the smallest amount of people. This isn't going to happen. This is impossible. And he kind of starts kind of a whiny, kind of a weak, whiny, tiny, strange little man. And he's like, I'm the least. I'm the least. I got nothing. See, Gideon believed the same lies that you and I believe. And he had the same excuses that you and I have. But listen to me, at the risk of offending you, let me, let me highlight for you, let me point out that believing these lies and holding on to these excuses is so arrogant. It's arrogant because here's the thing, these statements expose the fact that you're living by one of two lies. And here they are. One of two lies you believe if these are your excuses, if this is your way of looking at it. Number one, either you're fixated only on what you can do in your own strength. You're fixated on what you can do in your own strength. Or number two, you believe that only, the only way to maximize your life is to focus on and take care of yourself. Which is, which is the way our culture thinks. I gotta focus on me. I just gotta make me as healthy as I can be. I can just make me better. That's what I can do. If I can do that, then I can help other people. Right? And, there's, and, and while there's some truth to that, I think people, they end up missing the point because once you make life all about you, it's very hard to make it about others at any time in the future. 
because we, we crave the attention. We, we want the focus to be on us. We're fixated on what we can do. And if we can do some cool stuff, then we leave God out of the picture. If we're convinced we can't do anything in our own strength, then we're forgetting that God has strength that he wants to give us. So if you believe these two lives, it means you're holding on to these excuses, you're, you're holding on to these lives, essentially believing that living a successful life is simply about who or what or when. Who you see yourself to be. Who you see yourself to be just by your own definition. That's all you got. I can just, I'm just using my own history. I'm using my own parents. I'm using my, that's all I am. There's nothing else. See, God wants to speak into that. Number two, what? You, you're just living by what you're able to do with your natural gifts, talents, and abilities. And listen, some people, they have tremendous talents and gifts. But we see it all the time. People that have tremendous talents and gifts are some of the most lonely and empty people. You can see them in every arena, every strata of our society, not just movies and movie stars and, I mean, sports figures and all kinds of people, people who have money and means, people who have really gifted uh, uh, talents, they, they, they end up being empty. The third thing that happens, you're just relying on when you feel ready to do something great. <laughs> this is why, this is how people diet. All right, I'm going to do it. I feel it today. I feel it. And by noon, they don't feel it anymore. And they eat the hamburger. This is the problem. If you believe these lies, that's all you got. Congratulations, you're a little God. Go ahead, make it rain. See, here's the problem. Listen, too often we settle for weak excuses about our inabilities, our lack of experience, our fears, our busyness, our personal needs, and we give into the lies about our purpose and potential. But listen to me, these are all distractions from the truth. Don't settle for weak excuses. Don't, don't give in to the lies. Because like God did with Gideon, God comes alongside of us and he says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Close your eyes and bow your head. I just want you to pray about this. I want to invite you over the next few weeks to take this journey with me. Discovering more about your purpose and potential and uncovering the lies that we believe. And I want to invite you to this table, the Lord's table this morning, because it is at the Lord's table that we find provision for what we need. It is at the Lord's table that we come and we allow him to forgive us for leaving him out, for coming up with our own purpose, for trying to find things on our own. And it is, it is at the Lord's table that we find forgiveness and healing for the brokenness of our past. And there's healing for anything you're going through right, right now at this table. There's a miracle and a divine exchange when you come to this table and you say, Lord, I don't, I really don't have much to give, but Everything I have is, is yours. Here, take it. And then he, in turn, gives you himself. His broken body 
symbolized by the bread. His blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins, symbolized by the cup. I want you to come to this table, and I want you to let him begin to cause a stirring in your soul about what he's what he's asking you and what he's gifted you to do and what he's purposed for you to do. So Father, we come now and we take a moment and we pause and we allow you to speak to us. We allow you to to give us what you want to give us and we choose, Lord, to surrender to that process, to give up what we hold so tightly, to relinquish control over our lives and to let you be in charge. We thank you for this. Heal us, strengthen us, and forgive us today as we come to the table. In Jesus' name, amen.